This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. We are traveling back to 1517, about you know, just a few weeks after um, the disputation against scholastic theology happened. So this is not that far removed in time from where we were before lunch, uh, even though we've taken some time to go into later Luther. We'll now go back to a little earlier. Um, the 95 Theses were called uh, Disputation on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences. That's a little bit more of a mouthful, but it tells you exactly what it's about. <laughs> yeah. Um, as, we, as I was just saying, this is a text that we all know is there, but we rarely ever read. Um, so I was glad when I saw that Jono had this as part of the class, and I thought, I'm not going to change that, because you know, even though it is... It's early Luther. You, you, you're seeing where he's going. You're seeing the kinds of things that he's caring about. And I think it, you'll, you can see a clear line between where he is here and where he will end up. Um, so like we did earlier, we'll read a handful of theses and then we'll talk through them. Um, but I'll just give a, a brief sort of intro to this first. Um, after the Augsburg Confession was written in 1530, the Roman Catholics wrote back, and, and they, they said this in a document called The Confutation of the Augsburg Confession. It says, When they ascribe only two parts to penance, they come into conflict with the whole church, which from the time of the apostles has held and believed that there are three parts in penance, contrition, confession, and satisfaction. Mm. So this... Um, their understanding of repentance, of doing penance, was foundational to them. They thought this is something that had existed from the very beginning. Um, and Luther starts to butt up against it here, and that's just something that would continue to get more and more extreme is our understanding of how do we hear someone's sins, and then how do we declare forgiveness to them? What do we do in declaring forgiveness to someone? Um, is that this free word that absolves them, that releases them from sin, or is it a word that releases them, and then a little bit more that you can do to help make yourself better. Um, obviously, I think you'll know where the Reformation ended going with that. Um, confession for the Roman Catholic Church was three steps. Um, first, you would go and you would confess all of your sins, um, as many as you could think of. You'd just rack your brain to try to think of all the sins that you could. And often a priest would use what you call a confessional manual. And this manual would be a way of trying to find more and more sin. Digging. Yeah, maybe you, maybe you couldn't remember it, but we're going to find it. We're going to unearth as many of your sins as we can. Uh, and this would end up being you know, a pretty perverse process of just beating someone to the ground and needling all of their sins out. Uh, you'd probably end up you know, confessing sins that you hadn't really <laughs> even done. Um, so this was, this was a burden. Um, the second thing is that the priest would announce absolution. 
And as we talked about earlier, this is an absolution which is not doing the absolving, but it's saying, okay, you've, insofar as you have confessed your sins, God has heard you. And that's basically God what God has heard you? Yeah. Have you been heard? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to assume that God has forgiven you, so um, I'm going to absolve you. It's the sign that's pointing to something else. And they, they really did trust that in the announcing of the absolution, that there was absolution. But there's just that distinction between whether the word does it or whether the word points to it. So, so penance was a sacrament even then, or is that Council of Trent? It was, it was then. I think it, it's the Council of Constantinople or something, okay. Council of Florence. One of those set down the seven sacraments, yeah. So then, does, does the concept of ex opere operato work with penance, or is that just Eucharist? I, I think it's, I've only read about it being used in reference to communion, yeah. Um, and then the third step is that the priest would ask the person who had confessed their sins to do works. Um, that would satisfy the sin. So it was it works that were um, roughly equivalent to the sins you had committed. And after you had finished this, these works of satisfaction, then you could go receive communion. Um, and this might be, you know, you need to do various prayers, you need to visit a shrine, go touch a relic, you know, whatever. It could, it, you're really at the mercy of the priest to, to, to decide, you know, what you had to do to satisfy um, the earthly punishment for your sins. The absolution was supposed to take care of the eternal problem of your sins, but satisfaction was the earthly punishment. Um, the problem with this is that... You no, know, the earthly punishment. The punishment which you would, which would be visited on this earth how? Like, you wouldn't be... Like if you didn't do the satisfaction part, you just no confessed and were absolved. Yeah, you. You mean you would be removed from the church? Um, you wouldn't be able to receive communion. Um, you would just be caught in this cycle of of sin where you couldn't hear or receive any absolution. Um, but it, and the problem there is it's more about laying on these punishments, mm -hmm. which aren't really there, um, as it were. It, it's it's part of the canon law. Yeah. Just trying to understand more that question coming in here about the satisfaction part. Mm -hmm. What was being satisfied if the absolution was already given? Plainly absolution then doesn't right. mean what right. we know it to be, what Luther kind of re reformed it. Yeah. And this becomes a problem because you get an elision between temporal and eternal and between um, punishment and guilt and things like that, because absolution was supposed to deal with the guilt of your sin. Um, but how could you remove the punishment that is owed to you for the fact that you have done the sin? Right. And that's what the works of satisfaction were supposed to remove. And we have to remember that they believed in purgatory. Right. So the more penalties you remove, the presumably better time you're going to have in or the least, less worst time you're going to have in purgatory. So maybe that's, I'm sorry for belaboring this, but it may help me there. So the absolution, you'd be absolved of your sin, meaning the mortal would become venial. Mm -hmm. 
And so you would be in heaven. You may have to go to heaven via purgatory to have your remaining flesh purged, the fleshly part of you, or at least the penalty of the fleshly desires purged from you. Yeah. But if you did the works of satisfaction, you could lessen that need for purgation. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. So and the satisfaction is more about the, the, the pur it's reducing purgatory. Yeah, I think, I think the absolution was given to the heavenly part. Like you would make it, it may be made in six hundred thousand, two hundred twelve years before you make yeah. it, but you'd still make it. Yeah, unless you did these Hail Marys and pilgrimage or martyrdom or whatever else, yeah. and kind of bypass. Okay. And the, the the really difficult thing about keeping this straight is that at this time they weren't keeping it straight. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, so all mixed and muddled. Yeah. Right. Um, we, we mentioned this earlier when we were talking about sin at the very beginning of the day. Um, the sacrament of penance is where the church intersected with people's real lives. Is there real people coming in to say, I have sinned, I want forgiveness. Um, but this was also the place where people were most burdened by sin and frightened of death. Um, because sometimes your act of confessing took such a long time you had to confess to so many sins. You had to recount all of these things that the voice of absolution would just be drowned out. I mean, if you've spent so much time discussing um, your sins, what does that compare to the, that when you hear those two words, te absolvo? Like, I've just spent so long telling you how rotten of a person I've been since the last time I confessed my sins. Those two words... Um, we're not really going to do it for you. Um, so this, it's a huge pastoral problem. Yep. And it's one that we still deal with today, I would say yeah. is a fair statement to make. Um, because if people can't hear the word of forgiveness, it's not going to comfort anybody. It's not going to give assurance. It's not going to do what it's supposed to do. Um, Indulgences came along and they took that third part of penance. So, like I said, you could confess, hear absolution, and once the penalty was, was, was you were told what you were supposed to do to satisfy um, the penalty, you could buy an indulgence. And then you could wipe away all of the works of satisfaction you're required to do. Um, so, yeah. Is, is um, I know required is probably the right word, but wasn't the satisfaction like grounded in scripture with it? With you know, I think it was Zacchaeus. I read it, I read an article once by a Roman Catholic scholar who was talking about how he like repaid the people he owed debts to fourfold and such, and that was like it kind of grounded it in some things like that. And how it was when it was first initiated, it was a pastoral doctrine of like trying to help people deal with the guilt that they have mm. in heaven. Absolvement and then satisfaction on earth dealing with the guilt that they send against others. So it's like, okay, you know, go and, okay, you've stolen money, go and pay that guy fourfold, and it's going to help you with the guilt that you have here. Yeah, forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us, and we try, as we've been made right vertically, we seek to make things right horizontally. But it's that problem we always find of we merge the two yeah. things. And I think if, you know, if the sacrament of penance were a little bit more like what you just described, um, Luther would have never flipped out on it. Because even at this time, he wasn't wholly opposed to indulgences. 
he was opposed to, you know, their misuse yeah. and the and, and the abuse. Um, but I, it doesn't, you know, from all the accounts we have, it doesn't seem like anybody had that great, really gracious experience of feeling, <laughs> yes, now I get to go fix all the wrongs. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to feel unshackled. There is a, a kind of a charade assurance to be found, though. I mean, hypothetically, oh, sure. right? it's just not a real one. Yeah. Is it, is it not also true, though, that there's a historical reason? I mean, wasn't the, the major debt of the Catholic Church and the Crusades a historical reason for basically making people pay money to get forgiven? We're just about to get there. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Man, what do you do with money? Whoa, whoa, money. money. Come on. Money's a holy Not money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> money is always causing the church problems. Whether you have too much of it or not enough. Can you just help? The word indulgence, it's God. I've always wondered, never heard it explained exactly why it's called an indulgence. Well, who's being indulged and how? And God is indulging the sinner's requirement to do works of satisfaction. Sort of indulging you know, the sinner to say, now you don't have to do that since you've paid this. Is that where it comes? Is that... That's a really good question. I mean, it's there, and I was like, what's being indulged? I, I think you're on the right track there. I mean, that, that makes sort of sense in terms of a, just defining a word and how it could be used. I, it's funny, you know, I read all these things know, about I, the 95 like, Theses, and I've never heard anybody I have say this is why it was called that. Loophole. So, I... What? Loophole, you found one. <laughs> oh, good. You got, yeah, you got The Reformation has not yet happened because we don't know what the word indulgence means. <laughs> um, but here, here's the, whatever, you know, why ever they were called that. Um, the logic that was behind indulgences is that they had their existence from the surplus grace that Christ had merited mm-hmm. and the saints had merited. Um, so if you purchased an indulgence, it puts you in contact with that surplus grace. So um, the church sort of had like a Costco for sinners. Like you could just, there's this huge bulk amount of surplus grace and you could tap into that whenever you needed it. Um, huh. And that was what, you know, what's called the treasury of the church. Where was the international scorecard kept? <laughs> wow. Oh. Under his in Rome. They had a, the ledger there. Um, and here's where we get into the money stuff. Um, real, real quick on that. Yeah. Do you know what's do you know what scriptures that one that that whole treasury of merit thing has always seemed totally absurd to me. So what what's where what the scriptural basis is for that? A couple, maybe? Or just totally <laughs> off the wall? I'm, I'm blanking on the actual references right now, but, but they do throughout have, Scripture you'll hear you know, oh, the storehouses of heaven okay. you know, and phrases like that. All right. um, and that would give you sort of the exegetical opening to oh, right. Malachi. Yeah, to thinking about things like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, the money stuff. So the Pope at this time is Pope Leo X, and he is... Um, working on St. Peter's Basilica in the Sistine Chapel, and he hired Michelangelo to come in and do all of that work. Um, and it very quickly 
depleted the church funds. So he said, okay, we've got to find more money because we have to build this magnificent church. Um, and there was a sort of a long string of events with various governors and princes moving around trying to figure out things. But in the end, this guy named Johann Tetzel, T-E-T-Z-E-L, um, suggested that indulgences be used to raise the money to complete the work in St. Peter's and the Sistine Chapel. So that name again, please. Tetzel, T-E-T-Z-E-L. Here the coin of copper rings. A soul from purgatory, it springs. Yeah. Um, so Luther started to observe, you know, he was the pastor and the preacher at the castle church in Wittenberg. He had souls under his care. Um, and he started to notice that the people in Wittenberg were not coming to him anymore for confession and absolution. They were traveling outside of Wittenberg to go buy indulgences from Tetzel. Um, Luther said, and he, this is also in one of the theses, he said that if, if, if the Pope knew what the indulgences were doing to people, he would rather that St. Peter's go to ashes than that it should be built up with the skin, flesh, and bones of his sheep. Um, this was not, it was a, you know, primarily a just spiritual problem and a moral problem of abusing people, but it was also a deep financial problem. So that you've got people who don't have that much money traveling to go spend a lot of money on this thing, which you know, is just a document that says, I don't have to do these other things. And it was ruining people, because where they should have spent money to take care of their family, or if they had excess money, they should have given it to the poor. Now you've got them all pouring this money into a fund to make what is granted a very lovely church. Um, but it was just ruining the people around him. There, there's a story of Luther. Um, it's, it's one of those things that could be apocryphal, but it, it makes sense, where he was walking through Wittenberg, and he saw a man just wildly drunk in public. And Luther, being a good German who likes public order, got on to the guy. He, he, you know, he said, you shouldn't be doing like this. This is wrong. You know, get up. And the, the guy pulled out an indulgence and said, I'm forgiven. Like, you can't get on to me. I'm, I'm in the free and clear. Um, so apparently there was even the sense that indulgences were causing grief for public order. Um, <laughs> yeah, eins zwei, eins zwei. You can't, you can't keep people under wrap when they think that they can just get a piece of paper and be okay um, for their sin. Um, there's another story, and I just really, really, really hope this is true. A man went up to Tetzel, and he said, you know, Father, can I, can I buy an indulgence for a sin that I haven't committed yet, one that's going to be in the future? And Tetzel said, sure, you know, I don't see why that wouldn't work. It's um, a change. Yeah. yeah, we'll make this transaction. So the guy buys the indulgence, and he lets Tetzel walk down the road a little ways, chases after him, beats the tar out of him, and then takes his money back. <laughs> that's like a, I, I, I just hope that oh, kind of snap. thing is true. That's brilliant. Yeah. That was against me. <laughs> Tetzel got played. That was <laughs> he got played. So, um, that story may be apocryphal, so you just have to have that tag, but... 
I hope it was true. <laughs> um, so, do you, was, I guess this is your opinion. Was Luther that naive? I know that the movie several years ago painted him somewhat naive. And he really thought that if the Pope surely knew what was happening to his people, he would he would want to burn St. Peter's and you know, let it go to ashes rather than put this kind of burden on the poor. Mm. Or was he just being nice to the Pope? Or was it a political move? Right. So we're saying, well, yeah. surely the Pope doesn't know, giving him an out, like the yeah. people are doing yeah. it. Yeah. 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 It could be a lot of wisdom. He's awfully charitable to the Pope and the freedom of the Christian. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, you're, he's, he's Daniel in Babylon, and he's, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the man among the serpents and all these things. Right. It's interesting, in, in, the, in the theses in the 80s, he says, with what is happening with the practices of the indulgences right now, I can't counteract the accusations people are making against the Pope. Um, and he says, it's not fair because it's against the Pope when the Pope's not doing it. But he says, but all these things people are saying are true. So I don't know if that's him but being naive or just really wanting to hope the best. Mm -hmm. The vicar of Christ. Right, right. Um, he's, still a, he's a churchman here. Yeah. He wants the church. Exactly. We talked about how the indulgences were supposed to provide satisfaction, but by the time we're to Luther, nobody really knows what they do anymore, and there's the sense that they can not only relieve your temporal punishment, but they can also get you out of purgatory or release somebody else in purgatory. Um, there's this just strong combination of the temporal and the eternal to the extent where you could really get an indulgence for anything and, and just expect that um, you were going to be okay. You'd have less time in purgatory. Things would be better. Um, at this point, it was difficult for Luther because if you critiqued indulgences, you got on the naughty list really fast and you, you, know, you could be excommunicated. Um, but Luther just found himself unable to resist doing this. So that's where we get the sermons in 1516 and now um, the 95 Theses here. Um, one more thing to note is just that humanists and a number of other people, including someone like Erasmus, thought that the critique in the 95 Theses were good. There were a lot of people who thought that there was abuse happening and there were excesses that needed to be trimmed up. So. Luther was not this maverick coming out, doing things sort of lone wolf style. Um, just nobody else caused a fervor like he did by posting these. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one week or semester length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.